You are listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast by The Crossing on how to live into God's bigger story. Hi, welcome to A Bigger Life. I'm Dave Cover. One of the key ingredients to living a life with God, living a life seeking after God, living your life in the right story is to have the right narrative that defines your story. It's to keep your eyes on the prize as a way to say it in a cliche way, but it's to keep your focus on the narrative that is reality, the real narrative. Because one of the things that makes life hard, makes the Christian life hard, there are all these alternative narratives that try to define our lives, try to get us to live inside that false narrative rather than inside the real universe that God has made. So I think one of the key factors, the key things that is necessary to live in the right narrative is to really have a good perspective of what the finish line is, where it's all going. I think that's, that's, that's probably the most important thing when it comes to living in reality, being able to make choices that resist temptation, uh, make choices that resist the inertia that cause us to live into a different story. In order to resist that and to live in the real narrative, we have to have the right finish line in focus. That's key to any race. And so for years, uh, for me personally, what has defined that for me is the end of the Bible. You know, duh. The end of the Bible is the end of the finish line. It's the finish line. It's the end of the race. And the second to last chapter of the Bible is Revelation 21. I'm just going to read the first seven verses. But these have always been, well, I should say the last few years, especially for me, they've been my favorite verses in the Bible because they really put my focus on the finish line. There are lots of other great passages, and we've talked about many of those. But Revelation 21 one through seven is sort of the magnum opus, in my opinion. And it really keeps me focused on the finish line. Let me read it for you right here. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now, who's the eye? Well, it's the, the apostle John is having a vision. He's not, this is important for us to get. He's not like being transported into the future and seeing the end. That's not what's happening here. He's in the present, in his moment, in whatever AD he's living but he's, by the Holy Spirit of God, being given a vision. Now, the vision is what's called apocalyptic. That's why it's called the Apocalypse of John, the Revelation of John. That Greek word sometimes gets misunderstood as being about the end times. Something said to be apocalyptic. It's the end times. It's brought disaster. But that's not what the word apocalypse means. That's not what the word revelation means. It means pulling back the curtain. So, so the Holy Spirit is giving the Apostle John a vision that pulls back the curtain so that he can see reality through, a different, through different metaphors, through these word images, these pictures that he's given. Again, he's not seeing the future. He's seeing a vision that's filled with word pictures that shows him something about the future through poetic imagery, through imagery that in large part comes from the Old Testament. And so he's reading here, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now that, those t- that term new doesn't have to mean like completely created out of nothing. Uh, it's sort of like the difference as a, a seed. This is what Paul talks about. I remember in 
1 Corinthians 15, he said, a seed is something that has the code of the full plant, but it's not the full plant. It's planted into the ground and then a new plant comes from it, but it's not really genetically new, but it's new in, in its form. It's, it's the new in the sense that it's something that has been qualitatively transformed into a whole different, a whole new reality. This is going to be our resurrection. We're going to have continuity and discontinuity, but we're going to have, we're going to be a new body, but it's going to be transformed from the old body. I think that's the sense in which there's a new heaven and a new earth. I don't think an entirely new earth. I think a resurrected earth, like our resurrected body. It's almost like the seed turning into the plant. He says, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Now, just let's just call time out. Wait a minute. There's not going to be any oceans in the new creation. What's going to happen to that? Again, this is word imagery. It's poetry. It's symbolism. And so in the time of John and in the Old Testament, the sea represented, I mean, if you have to think about them, they're at, they're at the edge of, of Palestine, the edge of the land of Israel, looking west out into the sea. And that represents the unknown. It represents chaos. In many ways, it represents evil. The idea of the beast coming out of the sea is something we read in Revelation. It's the symbolism of evil. It's the symbolism of where there is chaos and fear. And it's, it's the idea here that God is going to get rid of all rebellion. God is going to get rid of, of all chaos, all danger. There will no longer be any rebellion or fear or chaos in God's perfect creation. Verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Again, this is very symbolic word imagery, this idea of the holy city, Zion, the new Jerusalem, this presence of God and his people coming out of heaven back to earth. Heaven is coming back to earth. Remember when Paul says in Colossians 3, 3 and 4, for you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I think that's the vision of what Paul's saying there, that here Christ is coming back. He's bringing heaven back to earth. He's bringing his people back with him, adorned as a beautiful bride in glory and radiance and purity and beauty. God is giving us a resurrection and we are being restored to the glory and the beauty and the power and the full-blown spirituality of a resurrection and a resurrected earth. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Remember, We've always said that when God commits to be your God, that's everything. When God commits to be your God, that means there's never going to be a time when he is not your God. There's never going to be a time when you are not, because as Jesus said, he's not the God of the dead, but of the living. 
So when God promises, when he commits to be your God, he is committing to be your full protection, your full security, your full fortress, your life, your joy. He is your God and everything that God is, he is for you. Or as I've said over and over, the forever God is now your God forever. And that promise, I will be your God you will be my people, is the most repeated promise all throughout the Bible of what it means to be in covenant relationship with God, for God to commit himself to you. He will be your God, and you will be his people, and you have no idea the largesse of everything that that means. I don't either. And so we're we're learning to live into this narrative that is beyond our understanding, but the words are just small cryptic promises of a promises we would a promise we can't even imagine what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of anyone imagined what God has prepared for those who love him I will be their god and they will be my people and God himself will be with them and be their god God's glory God's presence God's beauty God's radiance God's righteousness and holiness, God's infinite love, God's infinite wisdom, God's infinite goodness will be all around and present with us. We will never have this sense of separation. There's no longer any sea. There's no longer any fear. There's no longer any chaos. There's no longer any danger. And it says in verse four, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away, passed away with the sea, passed away with the judgment of wickedness and evil and all the sources of evil. And God has taken the evil out of us by giving us resurrection unto radiance and beauty as a bride dressed for her husband. All the evil has been taken out of us. All the evil has been removed from the earth and there is no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Verse 5 says, He who was seated on the throne said, and this is Jesus, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is the finish line. This is the promise of the gospel. This is the narrative that your life is in and that you have to have you have to live into this narrative in order to experience a bigger life. This narrative that Jesus only in Jesus, he is making everything new. He's already started it by his resurrection. That making everything new began with himself. He's the first fruit. He's the first born from among the dead, Paul says. He is making everything new. It's already started by his resurrection. And so he says, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. You can bank on it. You can count on it. You can go all in. I am trustworthy and true, and it's already started because I've already risen from the dead. This is going to happen, and you can live into this narrative. This narrative can be yours. This story can be yours if you keep your focus on this finish line. Verse 6, he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. This is a repeated phrase all throughout Revelation. 
God is referring to himself and Jesus is referring to himself as the I am. This is poetic, symbolic language that he is defining for us really what the I am means. He's the alpha and the omega. That's the A and the Z in the Greek alphabet. He's the beginning and the end. Other places say he was and is and is to come, the eternal one. He is the forever one. He is the eternal one. He is the beginning. He is the end. He's everything in between. He is, he is, he is the I am. He is existence itself, life itself. Nothing exists outside of him. Nothing lasts outside of him. He's the beginning. He's the end. And so he says, and catch this, he says, to the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Now this is, this is a repeated theme all throughout the Bible, this idea that God is the fountain of living waters, this idea that Jesus said, he who drinks the water I give will never thirst again. This out of his inmost being will flow rivers of living water. This living water idea, this fountain of living waters is the idea of satisfaction, the idea of life. Water in the time of Palestine was life and it was joy and it was rejoicing gladness and it was prosperity and it was flourishing. And so this imagery, this symbolic, poetic Imagery explosive with meaning, the spring of the water of life, fresh water coming out of a spring, cool water on a hot day that satisfies, that quenches thirst, that quenches our longing, that fulfills our desire. It is without cost, and he will give it because he is the source of it. This is the finish line. This is everything our heart has longed for, and it comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. So he says in verse 7, those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God, and they will be my people. They will be my children. To inherit all this comes from being victorious, from crossing the finish line, living into this narrative, not turning aside, not quitting the race, but finishing, being victorious, finishing the race, crossing the finish line so that we can inherit all this beyond what our mind can possibly imagine. Everything our heart has longed for is found in the I am because he is the I am. He is the source of all existence and he is the giver of all life. And he is the one that our heart longs for and the only one who can fulfill our heart's longings. It all comes here at the finish line. So let me lead us in a time of prayer because this is a great passage so full of symbolic word imagery to really meditate on and to pray through. And I'd like to lead you in a time briefly here of praying through it. Would you pray with me? Oh God, you are the I am. You are the alpha and the omega. You are the beginning and the end. You were and you are and you are to come. You are the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the living one, the eternal one. And I bow before you because you are reality itself. You are the God from whom everything exists. All life comes. You are the author of life. And I want to live in your story. I want to live in your universe. I want to live in your reality. And I want to finish this race. I want to cross this finish line. I want to be part 
of this new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven, being in Christ and my life being in Christ and hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ appears, then I also will appear with him in glory, in beauty, in radiance, in purity. I want to be your people coming down out of heaven, returning to earth in a resurrection on a resurrected earth, just like Christ's resurrection being made new and the old order of things has passed away and you are making everything new. No more crying, no more death, no more pain. You will wipe away every tear from my eyes. And God himself, you, God, you yourself will be with us, with me, with your people forever. And you will be my God, our God forever. I have no idea the enormous promise, the enormous blessing that that really is. But I want it to be true of me. I thank you that you make me radiant in Christ. I don't make myself radiant. You make me beautiful in Christ. You make me glorious in Christ. You clothe me in your righteousness in Christ. I trust in you. I look to you as my glory. The old order of things will pass away, and I want to be there. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. I want you to make me new. I want you to make everything new in my life. And I want to live in even now into this newness, this newness of your redemption, this newness of your resurrection that comes even now, Paul says in Romans 6, even now it comes into my life. Even now I live as one who has been raised from the dead. Even now I live as one who has been glorified, he says in Romans 8, verse 30. Even now I live into this righteousness. I live into this glory. I live into this newness of your resurrection. You're going to make everything new. This is the finish line that I want to race toward. This is the narrative that I want to live into. And I believe your words are trustworthy and true because you're trustworthy and true. I can believe you. I can trust you. I can go all in. I can commit my entire life to you because you're going to be proven to be trustworthy and true. And you have already started this. It is already done, you say. He said, it is done, you say. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. It is done. You've already begun it and you will finish it because you have risen from the dead and I want to live in this story. You're the beginning. You're the end. You're everything in between and life is found only in you. This living water from the spring of life is found only only in you. It only comes from you. It's nowhere else. I'm not going to find life. I'm not going to find this satisfaction. I'm not going to find joy. I'm not going to find gladness, purpose, fulfillment, satisfaction, anywhere else but you. Only in this story, only in this narrative is life and satisfaction and joy and glory, and beauty, 
and gladness. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. I want you to be my God forever. I want to be victorious. I want to finish the race. Even when it's hard, I want to believe you, that your words are trustworthy and true. I want to turn away from sin. I want to turn away from all the alternative narratives that try to steal my joy and steal my life and steal this living water from me, steal this finish line from me. I don't want to fall for it. I want to finish the race. I want this finish line because you are my joy and I want to be victorious so I can inherit all this and that you will be my God forever. I will be your child forever and the joy and the glory and the radiance that comes from that. You will wipe away every tear from my eye. No more death. No more pain. No more crying. No more sea with its unpredictability and chaos and separation and suffering. No more evil. No more rebellion. No more temptation. Just resurrection. Just making everything new. The old order has passed away. There's a new heaven and a new earth, a resurrected, restored, recreated earth, a resurrected, restored, recreated me, and a resurrected, restored, recreated world where the old order has passed away and you've made everything new. That's where I want to be. In resurrected glory, resurrected beauty, resurrected power, resurrected incorruptibility, immortality, and resurrected spirituality, where I live in your presence, in the presence of your spiritual world, in perfect intimacy and oneness. This is the story I want to live into. This is the story I want to live for. And I pray that you would help me now to finish victorious by your grace and by your mercy, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, I want to finish victorious. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating so people can find this content more easily, or consider texting it to a friend or posting it on social media. Thanks for listening.